0: If there's one thing that TV sitcoms and films have taught us over the years, it's that get-rich-quick schemes never work. Whether it's one of Ralph Cramden's many failed attempts at a fast fortune, or the true story of Frank Abagnale Jr.'s millions in fraudulent checks, it's clear that the real path to success is hard work and persistence. Unless, of course, you're Fred Smith. Fred came from a successful family that knew the value of a hard day's work. His father had been the founder of both a popular restaurant chain in the 30s and the Smith Motor Coach Company a few years prior. The latter was eventually bought by another company in 1931, who most people have heard of, Greyhound. His son Fred was accepted to Yale in 1962, a time when computers were changing the landscape of engineering and business, and he took notice of that. However, Fred didn't have his eyes on space the way others did at the time. His aspirations were a little more grounded. He wrote a paper on how computers were allowing people to perform tasks and learn things at a faster rate. Because of that, they needed a faster version of a common service that they'd been using for decades. His professor didn't share his enthusiasm, though. He thought Fred's idea wasn't feasible, given the monetary and technological constraints of the time. The professor gave him a C for his efforts. But Fred refused to give up. After he graduated Yale in 1966, Fred was drafted into the Marines and served for three years, where he performed two tours of duty in Vietnam as both a leader of a platoon and a forward air controller. He loved the feeling of zooming through the sky, something he'd done years earlier as a teenage pilot. He carried that passion for flying with him even after leaving the military in 1969. It was one of several important ingredients in getting his business literally off the ground. But Fred never forgot about the paper he'd written back in his Yale days, the one his professor called a pipe dream. Rather than listen to his teachers, he spun his optimistic idea into a full-fledged business plan. The idea was modeled on the bank clearinghouses of the time, where banks would come to exchange securities, payments, and other kinds of transactions, safely and securely. But Fred didn't want to get into finance. He centered his business around more tangible assets. His first attempt in 1971 nearly failed. Using a $4 million inheritance bequeathed to him after his mother passed away and $91 million in venture capital, Fred opened for business. Then he almost went broke, having burned through most of his funding in less than two years. He was left with $5,000 in the bank and a debt of $24,000 that he needed to pay back. Fred had to make a difficult choice— He could either cut his losses and close up shop, or he could throw a Hail Mary and try one more time to win the game. With the last of his company's funds in hand, he hopped a flight to Las Vegas. If he couldn't earn the money he needed, he would win it instead. Fred walked up to the blackjack table and sat down. No one knows exactly how long he was there, or how many hands he played. All they know is what happened afterward. Remember when I said that those get-rich-quick schemes never work? Well, Fred might be the only exception to the rule. He walked into the casino with $5,000 and walked out with $27,000, enough to pay back his debt and keep things afloat for just a little bit longer. And a little bit longer was just what the doctor ordered. After his miraculous win at the tables, Fred was able to secure another $11 million in funding. Business picked back up. Just one year later, he pulled in revenue of $75 million before taking the company public in 1978. Today, the idea that began as a C Economics paper at Yale now generates almost $70 billion in annual revenue and employs over 400,000 people all over the world. And that global team is essential to the main service provided by Fred's company, to ship something overnight. In January of 2000, he had the brand change from its original name, Federal Express, to something much more simple. Bet X. So, was it worth the huge gamble? You bet. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We sometimes upset our friends and family without even thinking about it. It might be something we say or something we do that offends them. If our faux pas is bad enough, there might not be enough apologies in the world to set things right— Of course, the worst we might do is end a relationship or estrange a loved one. We'd never start an actual war, would we? Libya and Tunisia haven't always seen eye to eye. The two countries have been in conflict for a very long time, even though they both share a border. At one point, they were ruled by Carthage. Then they were under the Ottoman Empire's control, before eventually regaining their independence in the mid-20th century. With independence, however, came an uneasy peace between them. For example, their tenuous relationship was shattered in 1980 when Libyan forces invaded the Tunisian city of Gafsa. They attacked the local police and the military station there. Libya's goal was to cause an uprising among the citizens of Tunisia who were displeased with the country's government. This day-long attack claimed the lives of dozens and was an expression of tension and anger that had been a long time coming, but it could have come a lot sooner, and if it had, it would have been the Americans' fault. Four years earlier, you see, in 1976, an American crew came to Tunisia to build new homes in the desert. Along with tools and construction materials, the Americans had also brought a team of cameramen to document the whole thing. Libya noticed the work going on across the border and kept an eye on things, assuming the Tunisians were working on a new military project. They weren't quite sure what exactly was being built, so they waited to act until they knew for certain what they were dealing with. Weeks into construction, Libyan forces watched as a massive industrial vehicle rolled across the sand. Their worst fears had come true. Tunisia was getting ready to strike, and they had a state-of-the-art weapon at their disposal. Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi issued a statement to Habib Bourguiba, the president of Tunisia. He demanded Bourguiba's forces stop what they were doing and move their tank-like vehicle away from the border. Failure to comply would be considered an act of war. Borgeba didn't know what Gaddafi was talking about. He had no soldiers at the border, and his army certainly hadn't built any new kind of rolling weapon. What the Libyans had seen was a relic, from a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. It was a sandcrawler, a 60-foot-tall armored mining vehicle the Jawas called home in the Star Wars movies. The Americans who had come to Tunisia were a film crew. The hut that they'd built had been part of the Lars Homestead, a moisture farm on the desert planet of Tatooine, where we're first introduced to the character of Luke Skywalker. Had the movie been made today, the sandcrawler would have been generated by a computer, nothing more than a bunch of ones and zeros on the screen. Back in 1976, though, the actors playing the Jawas had to have something real to interact with, so Lucas' team built a full-sized prop. Well, at least part of it. Plans were drafted for an enormous vehicle with actual panzer tank treads at its four corners. A rust-colored metal base was built on top. The partial prop measured two stories tall and 88 feet long. An artist then created a matte painting of the top two-thirds of the sand crawler, which was placed over the footage during post-production, giving the illusion of a complete vehicle in the final film. The Libyans didn't realize the giant treads and reddish frame belonged to a movie prop, They really believed Tunisia was constructing a weapon of war against them. And at that size, who could have blamed them? George Lucas just wanted to finish his movie. He didn't want to be responsible for starting an international conflict, so he had the crew roll the sandcrawler to safer ground, far from Libya's prying eyes. I mean, he only had two options, do or do not. There was no try. you